dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Well, welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Amlatsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, how goes it at the at the Scott Homestead or the Scott Ponderosa? I don't know. I think I like Ponderosa, Kayleen. I think we need to name it that. <laughs> I don't know. It's going. <laughs> so how are the boys? Well, they're fighting about who has to go with dad. They're not too enthusiastic about it. And I think it's because I've been letting them just sit on the iPad all day. and I've kind of ruined them. <laughs> and dad doesn't want to, uh, uh, dad doesn't follow those, those uh, parental guidelines, does he? he his <laughs> guidelines are a little, little more strenuous. <laughs> yeah. Was it? I think they get. They get bored sitting in the pickup waiting on him to do stuff. You know, but that's kind of the way it was at my house growing up. You know, if, if dad had to take care of child duty while mom had to go do something, his only way of babysitting was to put you to work somehow. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember, I remember doing that? I remember sitting in the pickup a lot, so <laughs> I know I I know the feeling. The only rule was I couldn't take my blankie with me. I had a blankie. I was a thumb sucker. Everybody now knows that. But the rule was I couldn't take my blankie with me because it would get dirty in the truck or you'd drag it through the mud or, or farm barnyard mud, which isn't really mud people. It's, it's hood for poop (laughs) and it'd have to get washed and I'd throw a fit. So the rule was I couldn't take my blankie with me. And those were the most awful days on the planet when I couldn't take the blankie with me. I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think I've told you this story before, but when uh, when I was little and Dad was taking care of me one day, he was working out in the shop, and any farm guy has a shop that he's always doing. He's always tinkering on equipment with. Well, my dad was a world class tinkerer, and he would create things that were he pretty much invent machinery and stuff to do stuff around the farm. We had a stack mover that he created, um, you you know, using old tractor parts and that sort of thing. And so, I don't know, one day he was out there welding on something. And of course I'm little and uh, to keep me out of harm's way, he sends me over to the scrap pile, the scrap metal pile, which is far away from the sparks and the lights. And he says, go, go make you something, go, go pick out some, you know, Go, why don't you go make something for your My Little Ponies? So I made a stable for my My Little Ponies. <laughs> and he spot welded it together. And we took it into the house and mom threw a fit because it was old and rusty and, and you know, shop gross. <laughs> so it had to stay out in the shop, Kayleen. Yeah. Still one of my best memories. What about you? We spent a lot of time at the shed, which was where... 
my grandparents live where my mom lives now and anything that was in that shed was free game for us to play in the pickup the dumpster you know whatever we could get into we had a, a fort built when I say we, it's usually me and my twin sister and our cousins because they were usually down there too. But <laughs> anything was free game. And our grandpa Roy, he he always had Mountain Dew and some sort of candy hidden somewhere. So we were always on the hunt for grandpa's candy. That explains so much, Kayleen. <laughs> Your mild Mountain Dew addiction, it explains it. <laughs> <laughs> and by well, miles he was, a, he was a diabetic too so it's not like he was supposed to have this stuff oh, you know what we were free range kids before that was even a, a thing weren't we oh yeah and I mean I let my kids do the same thing they've got 500 acres to roam on so knock yourself out you know I think we were and a lot of people wax poetic about you know, you're so blessed because we grew up on a farm and blah, blah, blah. We, we actually were. And I think a lot of it is we learned independence at an early age. And it wasn't because our parents were, you know, distant or uncaring or, you know, they're like, well, you know, whatever. They get hurt. They get hurt. It was, you know what? You guys need to learn. And yeah. this is a place where we're working. And if you cut yourself we'll fix it. And you'll learn not to do that. You burn yourself, we'll fix it. You'll learn not to do that again. I mean, there were guidelines. It's not like, you know, my dad didn't tell me, don't stare at the welding rod while I'm welding without eye protection. Um, it's yeah. not like he didn't say, hey, stay away from the sharp um, sickle blades on the mower or, you know, go play in, in equipment traffic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there were there were rules. And you followed those rules because that's what your parents were, they were keeping you safe. Yeah. You know, yeah, we tested our boundaries, but by testing those boundaries, we also learned what the boundaries were and we stayed within them. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, we knew, we knew what we could get into and what we couldn't get into. And if we did get into something that we weren't supposed to, you better keep your damn mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) Because when there was four of us, there was, you know, a lot to get into. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're lucky. I was um, so much younger than my older brother and sister that, and we were so far outside of town. I didn't have close cousins to play with. I didn't have other siblings that were my age to play with. So I had to find my own fun. And a lot yeah. of that was escaping into books. I would take my, um, like a bag of books and my blankie and, um, you know, maybe a lawn chair or something. And I would go and hole up in the barn on our homestead place and read. Um, I'd go out and read to the sheep pen <laughs> when I was little, you know, just uh, cause I was bored and I was making up stories in my head and, and expanding my creativity. And I look back now as an adult and I think I have that creativity because the muscles were stretched when I was a kid. Yeah. We were all tomboys, so we were always looking for something to get dirty and build and whatever else we could manage to get into. And our older sister, she was never out there with us because she was too too prissy and couldn't get dirty. So it's a good thing we had cousins that were a lot like us. 
You know, I wonder what the kids of this generation that are, are you know, in the middle of stay-at-home orders who are learning with different platforms that are having different ways of connecting, I wonder what muscle memory they're developing. You know, I'm, I'm curious. The iPad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I saw somebody the other day had posted that uh, she, she saw her daughter playing, this was on Twitter, she saw her daughter playing with their family dog while she was supposed to be on a Zoom conference call with her teacher and the rest of the class. And the girl who was like probably eight or nine said, mom, don't worry about it. I just took a screenshot of me paying, you know, quote unquote, paying attention. And then I pasted it into my square. There's 20 people on there. She's not going to know. And the mom's like, should I punish her or should I reward her? Because that's evil genius. It's pretty, pretty intelligent. So I kind of wonder what the kids today are going to come out of this with. And, and maybe the families too, um, you you uh, had a an interesting 4-H meeting, right? Uh, this last week. Yeah, our, our meetings are usually on the second Monday of the month, and they're usually held at, at a church in town. And all the the parents and the kids come to the meeting usually. And this time we decided to have a Zoom meeting, and it was interesting. It was better than the Zoom meeting that my kindergartner had with his teacher. <laughs> So some were orderly. <laughs> were they still doing um, parliamentary procedure? And how did they do that in a Zoom conference call? Yeah, they did did parliamentary procedure for the most part. And the president called it to, to order, and we did the Pledge of Allegiance. We did the 4-H uh, motto, and it was just like a regular meeting, except, you know, we were all in different places. That is so cool. I think, and it was still the same because Chance came and interrupted us, and you know did what <laughs> Chance does. <laughs> well, my there... sister texted texted me during the meeting. She's like, "Do you still have your pajamas on?" <laughs> you know what? I think uh, I think we're all going to come out of this a little bit wiser, a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think we're we're going to be a little bit more resilient as a people, don't you? That or we're going to be. absolutely bananas hey speaking of bananas i have been making banana bread like uh you know what i uh, i keep buying bananas because they're such a good zero point you know weight watchers food and i can easily eat them at the computer and you know it's good health I, i need the potassium blah 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 problem is is i can't eat them all before they go bad and so then i look at them like you know, you fought to get to the grocery store to get these ordered and you went to all the trouble. Don't waste food now. <laughs> so I've been making banana bread. My freezer's stocked with banana bread, Kayleen. <laughs> well, you can freeze the bananas after when they turn brown. You can just put them in the freezer and you can use them just in, the, in your banana bread recipes. I've done that before. Yeah, except... Um, they get a little mushy, but yeah. Well, but they're spent. They're meant to be mushy, now. yeah. <laughs> so there's that. But um, hey, Easter. So my Easter was a little bit different. I'm sure yours was too. Um, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go and see family. Uh, Garrett and I, we, the the fella and I, we texted back and forth. Uh, te- you know, called the family and and wished them Easter blessings and greetings. But we didn't go to his parents to have a meal and. 
It felt weird, Kayleen. It really did. How about you? Yeah, we, I mean, my husband had to go check cows and take care of cows, and the boys stayed home with me because they wanted to dye Easter eggs, and we usually we do that with Grandma and my sisters and um, my uh, sister's boy, and we didn't even do that. We just, the boys and I dyed eggs, and yeah. I made I made what I thought was a ham. It was a, evidently a, the butcher decided not to cure this pork ham, and it was just pork roast, so Ooh. not what I was expecting. How'd it taste? Uh, it tasted like pork. <laughs> well, I, picked... I was thinking, when it was cooking, I was like, why doesn't it smell like ham in here? <laughs> oh, well, shoot. That's why I went looked, at, went looked at the wrapper as I pulled it out of the oven, and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> well, I picked up a little ham from the store. I... Um you know, went in with my precautions and everything. And I made my favorite side dishes, had a nice little meal in front of a virtual church service. It felt very hippy dippy, but I figure God, he knows what's in our hearts. So he's okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we don't usually sit at the table to eat supper. We usually sit wherever and it's not a big production. I don't put food out on the table and we serve family style. I don't do that just because I don't like dirty and all the extra dishes and um, Sean's like, can we sit at the table and do it like Aunt Jessica does? <laughs> and I'm like, sure, set the table. And he set the table. We put all the, the silverware out and put napkins out. He even got the placemats out that I never use. And <laughs> it's good for him. It's it's that muscle was, memory. Yeah, I was shocked that he knew how to set the table. Because yeah. Aunt Jessica must have schooled on him a little. <laughs> you know, um, my mom grew up the kid of one of the people that, uh, one of the employees that works out at Rock Spring State 4-H Center in Kansas. Um, and everybody who's ever gone to 4-H camp in Kansas, you learn how to set a table according to Rock Springs rules. Um, fork on the left side, knife and spoon on the right side, knife with the edge pointed in towards the plate, clover at the top of the plate, at the top of the, the setting, you know, drink to the right. <laughs> The whole thing. And we always sat at the table to eat. Always. It was, yeah, we did too. It was just, you know, mom, that was the the way she wanted to do things. And, you know, we we had conversations around the table. And, and I was always in charge of setting the table and clearing off dishes and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I kind of miss it because I don't do that nearly enough in my own life. And if, I think if I did that more, I probably wouldn't have the middle tire that I'm starting to get from staying inside all this time. I, are you getting enough exercise? Cause I know I'm not getting enough exercise. Well, I don't know. Probably not as much as I used to going, walking, <laughs> doing stuff, but I tell you what, do not let, um, you know, try on your jeans because your yoga pants are lying to you. My yoga pants are lying to me, Kayla, Kayleen. <laughs> So, uh, what's the temperature of the farm sector? We've, we've, uh, we've had some more reports of, of COVID-19 positives here in Dodge city. We're seeing some more coming out of, um, the plants, I guess. And, and, uh, they're not, we don't have a lot of specifics. We just have some rumors and innuendos, don't we? Yeah, that's what I've been, been seeing. There's a lot of chatter on social media of, who's got who's got it and where it came from yeah 
you know, the, the plants are doing the best that they can, I guess, is what we're getting out of them. Um, you know, they're, they're adding extra spaces, they're slowing lines down, but it's still, it's, there's still a lot of people that are in a confined area and then they go out from that essential workplace and they go and get groceries at the store. They go through the drive-through, they go and get gas, you know, it's a, uh, the, the Smithfield up in, um, Sioux Falls has now been declared by the CDC as a hot zone, basically, because they've got, you know, several hundred cases, I guess. 600 I saw last night. My goodness. And, you know, that's, it's inevitable. You know, the, this is the way that viruses spread. This is the way they propagate and keep themselves alive is opportunity, opportunity. So, um, yeah. I, I just hope that we figure a way out of this. You wrote a, a really good blog post about, what this might do if people stop eating um, meat from the store and, and they start, uh, you know, the supply chain has been disrupted, but people tend to not think of the supply chain. They think of just, you know, at the farm level, don't they? Yeah. I listened in on the pork call the other day from the National Pork Producers Council. and They were talking about how 25% of the pork that's produced in this country goes to restaurants and institutions and places like that. And that pork isn't going anywhere anymore. And it's all packaged, ready to go to those food service locations. And I mean, they talked about finding a way to get it to the food banks and clearing out the cold storage. So there's already farmers that are facing, you know, nowhere for the hogs to go and these hogs are market ready so it's not like you could hold them very much longer yeah and then they run into problems on the farm with you know they're only permitted to have so many hogs on the facility and they were working to get um regulations with the epa and different you know environmental places lax a little bit so they can keep those hogs and not have to use the nice baby pigs yeah you know, it's one of those things you wonder if maybe perhaps people that were looking to fill their freezers with, with meat, you know, go to your, your local, um, your local cafe or your favorite hole in the wall restaurant and ask them, Hey, you know what? You probably have the food service size portions of your bacon and your cheese and your butter and your, your bread and your, your meat back there. Can you slice me off a couple of, you know, a couple of pounds of bacon or, you know, can you, can you parcel that out and sell it to me out the door as, you know, ready to eat or whatever, and maybe figure out way to move product that way. We're seeing in, in places like Wichita where restaurants are selling their large rolls of toilet paper that they can source from their suppliers. They're selling those along with, um, you know, a meal on a carry out basis kind of thing. Yeah. I saw one last night on the news that they made these grocery packs of their institutional size foods and they sold out in three days. You know, we've got to approach this with creativity and patience and not a lot of people really have a lot of patience. And I get that. I, I have that problem myself, but you know what folks, the supply chain, nobody figured on a disruption like this. You figure on minor, relatively minor in the grand scheme of things, disruptions of a tornado 
or a fire or a flood or hurricane or something else, but nobody ever had global pandemic that required us all to stay inside on their radar. Yeah. And th- those that did, <laughs> you know, nobody believed them. <laughs> nobody believed yeah. them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, what's the temperature of the, of the farm sector out there? How are you folks feeling? I don't know how to describe it. I mean, we still are paying for feed from last year, from two years ago. And, you know, these calves that are hitting the ground, it's hard to know if they're going to bring the kind of money we need to have at the end of the year and pay on our notes. So hopefully we have a forgiving banker. And if not, <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. I think what, what scares me is the small business loans are, that were you know created, they're already tapped out. What frustrates me are some of the people or some of the corporations that got the small business loans. And and you just kind of want to go, really, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, you needed a small business loan to get you through this? Yeah. You know, when people are paying. It's expensive. You know, they they got to be making money. Yeah. You know, people are paying 35 bucks for a a steak and you can't take care of your people off of that. Where's that money going to? You know, that's what frustrates me is there are people that have worked and sweated for actual small businesses, farms that have small, that uh, they operate as small businesses. And where's the, where's the compassion for them at this point in time? Yeah. And even, even with the the stimulus money, um, we haven't filed our taxes yet this year. We had to pay in last year, and when I get on their their little website that says, check your status here, they don't have enough information to determine if we're eligible or not. Well, that stimulus money could pay a few bills yeah. right now. You know, I got to say, I was fortunate. I got in and got my pack. My, I was able to. I'm a single filer. I don't have the, the you know the farm taxes that I got to deal with or self-employment taxes or anything like that. I got in, I got filed in February. I got my, my return back and, or I got it filed in March, got my return back in a week. I already saw my, my, my stimulus check in the, in the um, bank account yesterday or the 15th, like many people did. And I'm looking at that going, where can I use it to do the most good in my community? And maybe that's a lot of responsibility on me. Maybe I should just look at it from, you know, a very selfish perspective, but I'm trying to think, okay, I could blow it all and (laughs) pay down a credit card, or I could use it to go get the materials to improve my house from the local guy. Yeah, I saw a friend, she had posted on Facebook last night that she lives in, what is it, Northeast Colorado and in no man's land, they ranch up there, and she says that she didn't have much, but she's when this thing's all over, she's going to go to town and buy something from every local business in town. Yeah. And spread it around her local community like that. I think we are, uh, we're really learning, and we're being forced to learn what's really critical in our lives, and and for me, that's that's the Sail Barn Cafe. And, and, um, you know, my local home improvement store and the local place that sells me flowers for my flower beds and, 
and all of those people that have valuable services that make our lives worthwhile. So um, we probably ought to, ought to wrap this up. Uh, you know, folks, how are you guys doing out there? You know, drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com. Let us know. Call us at 1-800-452-7171. Those, those lines still come to us. Um, we forward them to our cell phones. So, so we'll be able to talk to you from home. Right, Kayleen? Right. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and leave us a review. Well, in this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the April 13th print edition. We're going to chat with Brady Huck about what the markets are doing in reaction to COVID-19 and its run through um, our, our agricultural system. Kayleen will bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have our final thoughts. We're all safe and sound and we hope that you are too. And thank you for riding along with us here on HPJ Talk. Shauna Rumbaugh. Staying connected, coronavirus puts rural internet to the test. With the novel coronavirus leading to stay-at-home orders that have turned living rooms into schoolrooms and remote offices, reliable high-speed internet is more important now more than ever. But access in rural areas lags significantly behind those of cities. The FCC has started some initiatives to help that situation, including the allowing of FCC's Wireless Telecommunications Bureau to have a special temporary authority granted to U.S. Cellular to allow the use of additional spectrum to help meet increased demand for mobile broadband. USDA's ReConnect program is a pilot that aims to close the digital divide in rural America by partnering with the private sector to provide more than $620 million in infrastructure. Field editor Lacey Newland brings us a look at flour and bread products demand in flour on the brain amid the coronavirus pandemic. With stay-at-home orders in place, consumers are making a run on grocery stores for essentials, including shelf-stable wheat products like bread and flour. Tim O'Connor, president of the Wheat Foods Council, says the wheat industry is stepping up to the challenge of meeting this additional flour demand. Quote, I've been talking with our members that are flour millers, and they have never seen a period of demand like this, including every year during the peak season for flour sales, which is the Thanksgiving to Christmas holiday window when people bake. This is far surpassing that, end quote. There is hope that this increasing flour demand will draw down the wheat supply and help return prices to more favorable numbers for farmers. On the opinions and editorials page, Jenna, you have the editorial spot this week, writing to remind farmers that farming still has to go on, even with the COVID-19 looming. You write that now is the time to have plans in place to protect your employees and family from the virus spread but also to write down farm tasks and planting plans in case neighbors need to step in and help keep operations running if the virus comes to your farm. Seymour clearly writes about the long road to confirmation, and Zach Stuckey, associate publisher, writes about HPJ's new initiative to help FFA members. From April 1 to May 8th, HPJ will contribute 25% of all subscription revenue to your state FFA foundation for use in developing the next generation of ag leaders. 
Kayleen, you listened in on the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University's 2020 Spring Crop Outlook webinar um, with James Mentert. And you have a look at the 2020 growing season's economic forecast in the pages of, of the journal. You also have a story about ag lenders and the impact of COVID-19 on agricultural markets. You listen to Nate Kaufman, Vice President and Omaha Branch Executive of the uh, KC Reserve Bank, who said that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the U.S. economy, but this coronavirus has changed markets and, econ and the economy greatly. Agriculture has to remember, he said, that farmers need to pay attention to leverage, even though their debt-to-asset ratio has been picking up recently and incomes have been increasing a little, a little by little in the past few years. Still, he said, there's concern in farm lending about working capital among farmers, even before the coronavirus hit. You can all read more on page eight of the Print High Plains Journal or look for this story and others online anytime at www.hpj.com. By the way, folks, you'll see that we are running an early bird special discounts on registration for our Cattle U and Trade Show July 29th and 30th in Dodge City. Attendee registration is just $85 until April 30th, and that increases to $135 on May 1. And for exhibitors, we have 20% off all booth spaces until April 30th. Don't miss your chance to join us at Cattle U. Visit www.cattleu.net. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. with us before, haven't you? I have, yeah. Went to Cattle U last year, then the Wheat and Sorghum U. When was that? Was that in August? Yeah, year? that was August last year. So um, you're a friend of the show. We've we've uh, talked before, but I don't think we've ever had a, a conversation about an event quite like coronavirus, have we, Kayleen? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brady, why don't you, um, why don't you, Tell our listeners just a little bit about what the situation looks like from your perspective right now, as far as the grains perspective and the livestock perspective. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, certainly, you know, has come into this market and just destroyed demand. Essentially, anytime you shut the economy down, um, everybody's definitely affected by it, and ag producers have taken a big brunt of that um, hit with ethanol situation. Um, beef demands, labor issues at the packing plants. It's just kind of created a whole bottleneck from milk to beef to grains all the way through. Um, but certainly wild times and, you know, unexpected events like this. They, I mean, coronavirus is its own beast, but um, it seems like these types of events are, are uh, the, the rock the markets come more often and often. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go from the top. Let's look at the ethanol angle. What are we seeing out there right now? I've I've been hearing reports of ethanol plants 
shutting down, taking, um, taking new deliveries of corn just because we aren't driving as much as we are. And then we also have on the other angle, uh, the oil and gas folks are not wanting to use as much ethanol in the blends. Um, that's what we're hearing, right? Absolutely. Yep. So yeah, I mean, the, the fuel consumption, gas consumption that drives, you know, slows down inventory in the pole on the whole system. So you're not using as much ethanol. Um, so we've seen run rates go from 1,000 barrels a day at, at these plants where they're producing 1,000 barrels a day down to you know, 570 with last week's run rate. So 40-some you know, percent lower than what we were last year. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, significant. Well, how long can we idle those plants at that rate and not see drastic consequences? Or or how how easy is it to get them up and running again? when we start uh, venturing out from our homes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, I mean, to me and to us, it, it really depends how quick the economy gets going again and what the consumer does. I, I don't know how much fear a person is going to have when they do let us go out or let us leave our homes, how quickly they're going to want to go travel somewhere, drive somewhere, get out of there. <laughs> I, I mean, we got two little boys at home, so we're itching to get out of here. And do something, <laughs> but um, Kayleen, you I know my husband's, yeah. my husband's driving habits haven't changed any because he works, you know, over by Buckland and he drives everywhere. But he's taking care of cows too, so he's got a reason to be out there. And I did notice on the when I was doing the grain market report this week that the report that I get my information from said that ethanol production last week ending April tenth there was a decrease of 102,000 barrels a day, 44% from a year ago. Then that number just was crazy when I was doing the report. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, inventories are still building. So, the, you know, that's production. Um, yeah. And they're slowing down the production to prevent the inventory from just ballooning. And eventually you run out of space to put ethanol. Um, you're, you run out of tanker cars to fill up. You run out of... It's just kind of bottlenecks, um, similar to kind of what we're seeing with the live cattle situation as well, where you've got less hook space, you're running lines a lot slower, and you've got cattle kind of backing up that need to go get killed, and it just kind of ripples throughout the industry. So it'll be, I mean, there's so much unknowns ahead of us on, on that front, from the ethanol front, from the beef front, the dairy front. It's, it's just hard to know what's going to happen a month from now, two months from now, six months from now. So at, at the at the farm level, what is that drastic reduction in ethanol demand or corn for ethanol use? What does that do to their prices as we're going into planting season? I mean, there are guys that are, are making decisions right now if they're going to plant corn or if they're going to switch to some other crop. You know, we had WASD that just came out. Um, we've got the planting intentions that came out. Um, what does that mean? And what, first off, what do those numbers look like? And what does that mean going into end of April, first part of May? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the planting, the planting intentions report, which was what a week or two ago, seems like ages ago, 97 million acres, 97 million acres that they projected the farmer to plant, which is a huge swing and just a massive amount of acres that would be in corn. Um, and we've seen that board kind of react where the, the corn-soybean ratio is now at 2.5 
versus 2.3, 2.2, what it was um, a few months ago. And just buying more acres or, I guess, discouraging producers from planting as much corn mm-hmm. um, out there. So it, it, I think the weather, to me, agronomic decisions certainly drive what a, what a producer is going to plant. Um, if they can actually plant corn on corn or you know beans on beans, agronomic decisions seem to lead the way, especially in our part of the world, out in western Kansas. Yeah. We don't have as many, many acres that are going to go to beans, and our basis just hurts us significantly out here. But whether, you know, the planting window and being able to plant last year, we, you know, we had such, so many issues with the wet spring and getting the crop in the ground. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, what the weather holds for us. I think the, the latest USDA or NOAA forecast for the next three months was for warmer and wetter conditions in most of the Corn Belt. Okay. Kayleen, do you want to talk about livestock? Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> I listened in on a couple of calls this week, and the pork guys were really, really upset about what's going on, and they're having to think about maybe euthanizing pigs on the farm because they don't have anywhere for some of these pigs to go. But also in the hay markets, when I was doing those reports, there was um, mention of feedlots changing over from distiller's grains over to alfalfa because they're having trouble getting the distiller's grains. Is there anything as far as, you know, different feed ingredients that feed yards and different, you know, even the co-op are going to have to look at as far as feed and that sort of thing? Yeah, you shut down those ethanol plants and that product, the DDGs and even wet distiller's grain is a huge, huge product for those feed yards. So it just kind of goes beyond that ripple effect of how one thing affects another. most of those yards use it for protein source, so soybean meal. I think we've seen, I, I don't follow soybean meal a whole lot, and, um, but I imagine that have a little more demand there. So, yeah, and I noticed that the soybean, the soybean guys were a lot more positive than the pork guys were <laughs> in the calls. So I think maybe there's <laughs> interesting. I think maybe there's a few more, a uh, few more uh, species that can use, utilize uh, soybeans than, than uh, corn maybe. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. so what does this mean? I mean, let's let's look at the the farm angle of all of this. You know, Kayleen, she and her husband, they have some calves that are coming on the ground right now. They're looking at fall and uh, marketing some of those. You know, you've got the hog farmers that have pigs that are ready to go to market right now, but there is a glut and the plants are either shut down because of COVID, like up in um, up in uh, South Dakota, and they can't process. So you've got all these backups in the chain. Um, what's what is Plan B? We talk a lot about Plan B right now because every you know Plan A is just not working out. Um, what is the contingency plan for these farmers? What can they do? How can they recoup some of their losses? Have you? Have you started talking with clients about what what their contingencies are? Yes. You know, things change quickly, I guess, and and, and, uh, they can split the boat and get tips too far one way, and it can rock it back the other way. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year, between February and May, we saw these corn prices drift from 390 area down to the 330, 340 area, and we've, of course, went below that 
recently. Um, but in June, we went on a five-week run where we put a dollar twenty back on the market. So we're we're a production issue away from things changing in a different picture. Mm-hmm. And one has to kind of ask themselves how much bad news is built into this market already, and what you know things can change quickly. So be ready for it and try not to get so hung up on the week to week stuff. American farmers and ranchers are great at their jobs. They find ways to make things work. Um, certainly tough times right now, but things change and they'll work hard and better days will come. I'm, I'm hoping. We're all hoping, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, it always amazes me, my friends that aren't in agriculture, they don't quite grasp a of all that agriculture is a price taker, not a price maker. You know, we're, we're not making widgets out here that can sit on a shelf indefinitely until we get the right, the right price for them. Um, but also that you can't really change up your production model and your production plans on a, on a dime, you know, like Kayleen, you and your husband, you made those, those breeding decisions nine months ago for your, for your cattle herd. Uh, there are people that are looking, you know, forward thinking two years, two calf crops ahead of now in advance. Um, so what we, we can't just, you know, pick up and change based on, oh, for the last two months, nobody's been able to go out to eat <laughs> like they were in, in massive numbers. Um, guess we'll just, you know, change up what we're what we've got in the bin. It's not like Farmville. You can't just click it with a mouse and make it disappear. Yeah, I think I mean, you shift your goals, obviously, a little bit. The prices have changed on things, so you shift your goals on where where you want to make those sales and when you want to move to livestock, and um, your goals just shift a little bit, I guess. And it's mm-hmm. a reminder of you got to be proactive versus reactive. And um, What's some... Areas will come. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You're all right. Yep. What are some safe areas for farmers right now? Say I'm, you know, somebody like, you know, my dad who farmed and had a diversified operation, had some hay, had some wheat, had, you know, put up a, a little bit of corn and, and Milo and, and could kind of change up his cropping rotation fairly easily enough. You know, he could go in from one to another. What are some areas that might be safer or might show some promise? Um, you know, some summer crops that show promise or, or is this just across the board, all of our ag commodities, we are in a pickle? I've heard of some more guys switching to hay uh, over the last few years. Um, and beans are certainly attractive from an input cost standpoint. So um, guys are, have definitely been kind of financially strapped for the last few years. So having this on top of it doesn't help the situation at all. But a, a lower input, more flexible type crop like hay or even soybeans certainly helps on some of those input costs and managing that expense. Uh, corn's an expensive crop to plant, and you got to have the price there to make it work. Hmm. Um, okay. Kayleen? When I listened to the KC Fed guy a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about, you know, have a plan and, you know, to market your grain and do this and that with it. Is that something somebody should be looking at right now as far as the crop that like the wheat that's already in the ground? Yeah, well, wheat, yeah, certainly wheat is presenting a great opportunity. I mean, that $5 on the futures board we've been for quite some time. Um, flip back and test some support here right now at 480. But 
um, we certainly presenting an opportunity to get some get it done and get use a flexible approach where you know you're getting some price protection on and protecting these levels, but still retaining some opportunity. Um, so wheat is definitely something to, to be looking at as far as corn, milo, soybeans. Uh, it's hard to hard to do something now, but a guy can draw a line in the sand by um, you know put options or, or or getting some protection on in case things stay here or get worse. It's hard to go make a sale at these levels though. Um, old crop wise, there's some basis opportunities, but those basis opportunities haven't changed much from where they were a couple months ago. What about the guys that are that are around that? might still have some, some commodities in the bin. What did, what should they do? Should they just hold on to it or what should they plan for that? It's, Open up your magic your magic eight ball or your crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody knows where where this thing's gonna go. Um, if if producers are storing crops, why do you store a crop? You store a crop to capture better basis and capture carry. And the market right now has put a, the core market has put a little bit more carry into the market, um, but a, a month ago there wasn't a whole lot of carry. Those spreads between May and July and July and set really narrowed up, so you weren't getting rewarded for storing the crop past past May. Um, but those carries, I think the May May July spread is at six cents. So if it's in your bin and your hedge, you can collect six cents by storing it further out into July. Um, that helps. So it depends where a producer's at with his, if he's hedged or protected or forward sold. Um, but if you're not sold, you know, avoiding the, the big mistakes or things to get worse on you, I think that's that's where guys can really make a difference on their bottom line and their equity is trying to avoid basis rolls and accumulating 35, 40 cents of storage and kicking the can down the road too long. There's ways you can retain upside and and uh, still have that opportunity and know your risk. Um, like a call, making a sale and having a call option and just managing that risk through the call mm-hmm. um, kind of protects you and defines what your downside is. So if a if a producer sold three ninety four dollar corn in Jan January February timeframe and spent ten cents on the call, yeah, that call's not worth much today. Um, but he sold $3.94 corn at that point in time, um, sold a pretty good basis as well if it was in his bin, and can manage that through through the call. He can still have upside. So that's what I've been doing a lot. We've got May options expiring here this week or next week, um, the 24th Friday. So managing those positions and deciding do we want to roll those calls out and uh, we're actually rolling out and down. Um, get some more time and then lower our strike price so we are still in position if this thing bounces back um, and we know what our risk is. Okay, okay. Well, any other any other questions, Kayleen? I don't have any more. Okay. Well, any final thoughts, Brady, that um, that you want to leave our, our listeners with, uh, whether they're in agriculture or outside of agriculture, um, even a bright yeah. spot or two? <laughs> yep. But certainly tough times, but um, the world changes quickly and things change very, very quickly. Um, from a price standpoint for producers and farmers, um, Black Sea, South America, crop production, rain there is, is critically important. We're getting ready to switch gears and focus on U.S. planting and U.S. weather, what we like to call silly season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already been a pretty silly 2020, um, but we're going to gear up for even more 
craziness, I think, ahead. And things can change quickly. So stay flexible, retain opportunity, and make sure you're doing the right things to manage your risk. Okay. I think things will get better here, though. So. <laughs> well, hey, Brady, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And uh, where can folks uh, go if they've got some questions and want to pick your brain? Where can they go find some more information? Yes, so you can call me at Advanced Trading, 1-800-664-2346, or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Advanced Trading. Great. Well, hey, thanks again, Brady, and uh, we will see you on the trail, okay? Thank you. I'll see you. Market prices from Dodd City's Pride Egg Resources on April 7th. Corn was down at $3.22. Wheat was down at $4.30. Milo was up at $3.02. And soybeans were no change at $7.91. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash sign up. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the sorghum technology issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes April 20th with a story from Kayleen. And you can always look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, Fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends.